Hey everyone, welcome to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast that takes a deep dive into canine behavior, building up alone time comfort, and helping improve the welfare of our beloved canine companions. In this podcast, we will discuss real-life tactics for modifying behavior, real alone time case studies, and help guide you through the emotional process of behavior change. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take the next step in your alone time training. All right, everybody, welcome back to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck. Today, I have an awesome guest that's going to be diving into the world of data collection with me. So today, we have Jackie Johnston of Believe in Your Dog. She is a fellow CSAT and amazing behavior consultant, and we are going to just dive deep into why as professionals, we should be data tracking, why it's helpful for you as an owner of a pup, and what little things we start to see really impact our overall cases in regards to data collection and certain pinpoints that we focus on. So we will get to that in just a minute. But before I wanted to dive deeper into some of the client questions that I received over the past week. So first and foremost, our first question comes from Gabrielle. Gabrielle mentions that her dog has separation distress and she's curious if getting another dog will help. Gabrielle, that is such a great question and honestly so commonly asked. When it comes to getting another dog, if I'm going to be completely honest, I do not see that it impacts in a lot of cases um, the overall underlying emotional response of the dog that's struggling during alone time. Of course, every dog is a study of one. There are some cases in which maybe getting another dog might have helped in certain circumstances etc. But the general rule of thumb that I've found with most of these clients that I've been working with all over the world is that not only does getting another dog not really impact the pup's underlying comfort or emotions, but sometimes it just adds more to that owner's plate. So of course, every dog is an individual. If you are interested in giving it a go, I would highly recommend reaching out to a shelter or rescue group that does allow that does allow you to do foster and home. You can get a better feel for what your dog's response is to having another dog around, if you see a curb in the anxiety, etc. But just keep in mind that every dog that you're going to introduce into your home is going to have a different dynamic with your current home dog. So just because something goes well with the foster does not necessarily mean that every dog you bring into the home is going to be a good fit. So just something to keep in mind. Um, The next question comes from Erin T. So Erin, your question's brilliant and one I'm getting a ton. So Erin asks, um, she's moving in 2022 and she wants to know if she should start training now or if she should wait until she gets into her new home. So Erin, it's a little bit hard to answer this one just because I don't have all of the specifics of your case. For example, if you are moving you know, in three weeks, it's going to be very different than if you're moving in eight weeks or 10 weeks, etc. Um, but generally speaking, there is not really any harm in diving into gradual exposure, systematic desensitization early before the move. But please just keep in mind that every dog is, they generally speaking, they don't generalize well. So anytime you go to a new environment, it's not to say that just because your dog had X amount of comfort with X amount of duration or X amount of criteria in the prior home, that it's going to necessarily, quote unquote, transfer over to the new residence. Um, The beginning portion of the journey for many clients is just kind of walking to the door, building up comfort as they slowly manipulate the door, work towards exiting, etc. In those cases, you might not see that big of a deal when you move to the next house. It's almost like they know the game. They might catch on a little bit sooner. Um, But if you were going to be 
you know, moving in two weeks or something along that line, I would probably say waiting might be the most beneficial. Not to mention, once you get into a new home, it's really important that we're allowing our dogs time to acclimate to their new environments. So even if you were to start training now, for example, when you move, you would likely be taking off at least, at least two weeks after the move, just to let your dog get comfortable, get used to the new routines, etc. And then you would actually be diving into low level um, forms of training. So hopefully that answers your question and if you're interested in learning more please do not hesitate to reach out i'm happy to hop on a call and dive into your specifics all right and the last question for today comes from team luna and i do apologize i actually do not have your first name so i'm just going to be referring to you as a whole team luna today so team luna wrote in and uh, was curious because they mentioned that sometimes their dog is okay and other times she seems to freak out and they want to know how can they know what it is that's upsetting their dog in certain circumstances so team luna this is actually the perfect episode for you because today as i mentioned earlier we're going to be diving into um data collection and why it's so important. Your specific case that you just brought to light is actually one of the many cases that I would highly recommend start data tracking. The reason for that is because there's really an unlimited amount of reasons why a dog might be um, experiencing a lack of comfort or distress, anxiety, etc. Some of those might include things that have nothing to do with alone time. For example, there could have been a trigger stacking situation prior leading up to the alone time. Um, potentially, maybe there was a thunderstorm that was going on. Maybe the upstairs neighbors were out of town, so they were super calm last week. And now that they're in town, things are just a little bit louder and less comfortable. It could also have something to do with things underlying like GI upset, etc. So I would highly recommend, first off, listen to this episode. I do think you're going to find it very valuable. Second off, if you have not already, reach out to your vet team, bring them on board, and rule out any potential underlying medical concerns that might be influencing your dog during alone time. And third, start data tracking. Data tracking is going to really help you start to pick apart the whys um, of when it comes to your dog having uh, upsets in certain situations and not in others. All right, everybody, welcome back to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast. I am super excited today because we have an amazing colleague of mine, also a fellow CSAT, Jackie, joining us today, and we are going to dive deep into the world of data collection. So Jackie, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your experience, and then we'll dive on in. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much, Allie, for everything that you do for dogs and their people. Um, my name is Jackie. I uh, am the uh, lead trainer and owner of Believe in Your Dog. Um, I've been working professionally with dogs for about seven years. Uh, started out in sheltering, um, and I have been a CSAT, a certified separation anxiety trainer, for about three years now uh, and solely working with separation anxiety and separation related behaviors for a little over a year now. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here today and uh, chat about data tracking. I know, I know, I knew I wanted to choose you for this topic just based on a lot of the, you know, the infographs and everything that you uh, put up and release out to the public. It's very much hand in hand with my experiences as well. So I'm super excited to dive in. So to kind of just jump all in. Why don't we talk a little bit about like, what does it mean to you when we say data? Like what exactly do you mean by data collection when you're talking um, with potential clients or current clients? 
Yeah, so I think that uh, I love that you asked, uh, what does it mean to me? Because I think we can all have different uh, interpretations of what exactly that means. And, and so for me, when I'm talking about data collection, I'm talking about a couple of things. Um, I'm talking about the trend and the trajectory of the individual dog's progress. Um, and I'm also talking about the variables in that dog and human's individual life that could be affecting that progress in a positive or quote unquote negative way. So those are the two kind of key things that I'm looking at when I am uh, collecting data from dogs that I'm working with. Uh, how about you? No, same, same. So thankfully through the CSAT course, I actually learned a lot about why it is so important to actually do this data tracking and get these individual trends because there's, as I'm sure you have seen online, there's so many options out there for different things that like parents can implement. And a lot of them don't really focus on the individual dog itself. And a lot, most of them actually don't take into consideration these variables that might be impacting overall comfort or threshold levels. Um, so yeah, I'm the exact same. I do. I basically individualize it to the specific dog and we'll talk a lot more about what we're tracking and why those individual things are important. Um, but I'm yeah. curious, have you ever not collected data before? <laughs> um, no, I've never not collected data. So, and that is the great thing I think about the, the CSAT course is that from the start, we are taught how important that is. And just to side sidetrack for a split second, I did go quickly and Google the definition of data because we're uh, behavior nerds and we have to do that. <laughs> and it's defined as facts and statistics collected together for reference or analysis. And we are going to talk a little bit more about why that's important, but I just think it's so important that we look at the meaning of the words that we're talking about. And so um, I can't imagine not collecting data. So I, I, to answer your question, I've never not done so. Of course, I did not do so prior to becoming a CSAT when working right. with regular, um, not regular, but um, everyday um, behavior modification. It definitely would have benefited me and the dogs I was working with at the time, but I wasn't aware of how important it was until I did become a CSAT. It, that is so real. Yeah, no, I think actually thinking back, one of the reasons why you stood out to me so much with data collection is we were both in Susan Friedman's Living and Learning with Animals. And that very much has a heavy emphasis on observing the individual in front of you and actually tracking and let's make sure we're actually making progress. Are we tipping the scale in the right direction? Is behavior increasing? Is it decreasing? And that's such a big importance when we're working, totally. especially yes. on an underlying emotional response, right? So Absolutely. awesome. Well, same here. I also have not collected data aside from prior, uh, even prior to my shelter work that I used to do with just my regular behavior clients. But if I would know what I know now back then, my gosh, I absolutely would have implemented it. So anybody out there that's not data tracking right now, it doesn't matter what behavior you're working on. It can be a huge game changer for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, without it, we're, we're, um, we're totally flying blind, right? Like exactly. Uh, how do we know if what we're doing is changing behavior? And I think for clients, it's really beneficial to see those trends and trajectories because yeah. we might say every day, oh, he's doing great. Like Fluffy's doing awesome. <laughs> like we did one minute oh, and they're yeah. like, ah, but if we can see it on a graph, that's just yes. amazing for them. Oh, game changer. And I love that too, especially every dog goes through plateaus and regressions. That's not even just dogs, that's individuals as, as their own entities will all go through the ebbs and flows. And it's inevitable to say that there's going to be a point in time in which 
somebody has a not so good session and I'm with you, like my favorite thing to do for clients in that point in time is bring up all of those charts, bring up all of the data, bring up everything we've tracked and kind of assure them like, Hey, even though today looks and feels like it totally sucked and it was a wash and you feel like you're <laughs> wasting your time or whatever they're feeling in that exact moment. Look at this, look at where we first started. Look at how many times Fido vocalized or used to paw or attempt to escape. And now look at where we're at. Right. Um, so it's huge, not only for just getting that continued commitment, but also just reminding them that as an individual, everybody's going to have their ups and downs. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Great point about the uh, ups and downs and the regressions, because it can oh, feel yeah. like you're getting nowhere for sure. Totally. And any of the families out there listening to this, they know exactly what we're talking about because most of them are probably already following us. Um, right. Let's Let's kind of dive into like some of the things that you find absolutely necessary to track and some things that are maybe this isn't applicable to you, but maybe things that you didn't use to track and now you are tracking just to give our listeners out there a little bit more of an in-depth understanding of what it is that we're looking at. We're not just like, what, like, what are we not looking at? What are we looking at? Um, just kind of give them a bigger picture. So I'll let you kind of start that and I'll just throw some in as they come to mind. Awesome. Yeah, there's so many things we can track. So don't <laughs> overwhelm yourself. Um, I think as, as trainers and as guardians, um, that if we can simplify it um, and start with the basics and then build from there if needed. So some things that I always track regardless, um, just when starting out, is definitely like time of day. What time are we doing the absence training? Um, who is doing the training? If you live with multiple people, is it... You you know, five people? Is it two people? So who's doing the actual training session? Um, what was your dog's physical uh, and mental exercise so far that day? Um, what's your dog dog's appetite like that day? Um, any stressful events that may have occurred that day? Um, of course, medications, if your dog's on medication, making sure we're tracking that. Um, so those are just some of the basics that I sort of the foundations that I start out with. And, um, and of course, we'll talk about how over time that can change for the individual dog. What about you? What are you tracking? Very, very similar. And I find that like more often than not, those little teeny tiny things that feel like they might not be a big deal to a specific case can actually end up being a really big deal. And it can be helpful too for clients going back to feeling like those some like occasional feelings of defeat, like you're not making progress. If we can go back and look at, oh my gosh, look at this trend at, for example, um, and not that this is every dog, every dog's of course going to have a different response, but for example, every time we do something after 5 PM, which is a trend that I've seen with some of my clients after 5 PM, it's some of the hardest sessions that they have. And then we can really start to let clients know like, Hey, look, it's not just you. It's not failed efforts. It's, we need to modify the environment to set that dog up for success, which on Honestly, and I'm sure you probably agree, but I'd love your feedback. Sometimes in the beginning, setting up training sessions at the time in which the dog is going to be the most successful. And then from there, starting to vary and add in those other variables, essentially of different times of day or after certain amounts of activity, et cetera, because we can't, can't really build on anything if we don't actually have comfort and we can't get comfort if we don't have experience, right? What do you think? Yeah. Like, do you have any insight onto that? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, we are essentially, I, I tell my clients we're running a loose science experiment. And, and I say <laughs> I loose because 
we don't have control over every single variable in the environment. Like if the mailman comes or if, you know, a thunderstorm starts mid session, right? Like um, we can't control these things, but um, the data collection and comparing that to how your dog's progressing helps us to make decisions to help our dogs be as successful as possible. And then over time, just like with any training, right? We start with a foundation. We start with where our dog's going to be successful and we gradually add in those variables that are harder and harder at higher intensities. Same thing with home alone training, right? Like let's set our dogs up for success as much as possible. And this is where clients I think can feel like we're cheating, right? Or we're totally um, (laughs) right. Or it's fake, you know, and, and that's the idea, right? Like the idea is that it's so easy that your dog cannot fail And so um, it's going to feel like you're cheating, but it's really important that we lay that foundation and that we gradually start to make things more like reality. And um, it can be hard to see that when you're first starting out, you know? Oh my gosh. Yes to all of that. Cheating, especially a lot of clients, especially those first you know, we work with clients for the long haul in most cases. In those first few months, they have a really hard time kind of seeing what the end goal looks like, right? Like we're doing, obviously every dog's an individual, but between like, let's say eight and 11 different steps. And they're like, how does this look anything like the actual exit itself? And right. time and time again, I remind them, and I'm sure you do with your clients, like any of those success stories you see on my profile or on my social media of four hours or five hours beyond of comfortable alone time, they all started right here. And the reason why they were able to get to that end goal and hit all of those amazing milestones is because of the data tracking. And because we realized what time of day was the quote unquote sweet spot for that dog. And we manip- manipulated the environment in a way that allowed for maximum comfort. And then we were able to actually make things a little bit more uh, intricate every single, not every single time. Of course, we need to give super easy wins, uh, but, you know, just adding in and just making sure that we are getting our pup up to that level of what they will eventually be in slow, tiny, little time, like little teeny tiny accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to echo that, um, when I post those success stories too, it's so important for people to understand. I've never worked with a dog who didn't start out with eight to 12, like warm up steps, like jiggling the doorknob. Totally starts there. Totally. And it can feel so weird, especially like when we haven't quite added pre-departure cues in, et cetera. So anybody out there listening that is working with somebody and feels like they don't see the end goal, it's there. We just have to start in tiny little baby steps, right? We're working with an emotional response. We're not just teaching a dog how to sit down, stand essentially. Um, But I digress. We can jump back into the data collection (laughs) portion of it. Um, Have you ever had an issue getting client buy-in with collecting data? Have you ever had an issue with that in any way, shape or form? Um, Personally, haven't because I'm really strict. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> so I, I think that I think the data tracking is one of the. I mean, I, we could say this about everything, right? It's the most critical piece of the training. But I really do think that without that information, we are throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, and so I do with my own clients. I don't enter the next day's training session until that data tracking cell is filled out in the spreadsheet. And so again, like I'm just really strict about that because if that information isn't there and I'm formulating your next training plan, 
and I don't know what time you did your session, right? Or I don't know how much exercise enrichment your dog got, then I can't say what your next training plan should look like um, without that information. And really like, let's make it, you know, make it simple for people, like put it in the spreadsheet. Um, Allie and I work with all CSATs work with spreadsheets um, and it's there and there's a link to it right at the bottom of your mission. And you're going to go in and you're just going to pop it. It's going to take you less than 60 seconds to plug in that data. And it feels like a lot in the beginning for some clients when we're first doing the walkthrough, but it really does get easier over time. And you're, you're going to find value regardless of your dog and your prior history and what your training outcome looks like. You will find value in data collection. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Um, Have you, have you had trouble getting client buy-in for data tracking? A little bit in the beginning. I think I did at the very, very beginning, but once it comes down to it, it's like, I try to remind them, you're not just giving me your homework assignment and I'm giving you five gold stars, right? Like we need to be looking at the holistic view of your dog's day to day and that making sure that every little teeny tiny component of their life, as much as we can control is moving towards increased welfare. And how can we know that if we don't keep track of all of the little teeny tiny cooperative care necessities, like welfare increasing activity, like every little bit that has to do with their day to day and it makes them who they are. If we're not tracking that, it's going to be really hard to ensure that we are making all of the right steps in the right direction. Yeah. If you would say that it's the most ethical thing we can do as trainers is collect Absolutely. that data for sure. And the vets like it too. The VBs and the vets that I work with yeah. really like yes. to see those charts and I'm sure it's the same with you too. Yeah. Um, yes. Awesome. Well, I think we've kind of droned in the importance of of it. Um, I'm curious, do you have any specific case or experience that kind of thanks to data collection, you realize one way or another why things were going good or why they were going bad? Or can you give us any case study fun, fun facts for you? Yeah. So I, I would say that um, for the, for many, many dogs that I work with basic things, right? Like time of day, person doing the training, exercise enrichment, all those things are really important. And those are things you'll probably always track for all dogs, you know, depending on the individual, but I, I have had some interesting things come up. So um, one, one that stood out to me was the wind speed outside. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about making the clients collect or encouraging them to collect the data (laughs) is they start to see these things, right? Like they start to notice. And, and this particular client noticed that, um, she had actually got a wind speed app, um, before our assessment and mentioned to me that she'd been notice- noticing that the wind speed was impacting her dog's ability to be successful. Uh, and so, you know, something like that, if you're not already tracking basic data, why would you notice that wind speed is making it more Holy. difficult for your dog, right? Yes. Um, you know, barometric pressure, something we've been paying attention to with one dog I've been working with, um, you know, the weather changes, things like that. And this is stuff that can even you know, it was windy earlier in the day. Like we went on a walk and it was, you know, 30 mile an hour wind. And then the wind died down. She seemed fine. But we, as Allie always says beautifully, stress does not live in a bubble. Right. And so even though it didn't happen during the training session, we need to be looking at that entire picture. Another example that I have um, semi-recently was we were noticing, which this is so rare. I've never seen this before. Too much exercise was Mm -hmm. physically... Uh, causing some discomfort in um, a a little bit of an older dog's uh, body. 
So ah. that when, yeah, so that when we would see, it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, am I really saying this? Like too much exercise, we are starting to see struggles. And so we tweaked that so that there wasn't as much physical exercise and there was more focus on, you know, brain games and mental, mental. exercise. Love it. Yeah. And so it's, it's really, it's really important that you're tracking those basics. Otherwise you're not going to think to look for these other things. You have a really interesting one. Um, oh, <laughs> yes. No, there's, yeah. And just to echo the exercise part of it too. I feel like, I think I just made a post about this yesterday, but there is a very common misconception that a tired dog is a happy dog. And actually through the data collection that I've done, I have found that that's not only not the case, but that it can actually be the opposite for some dogs, especially when we're looking at a high level of activity right leading up to an alone time departure. A lot of people use that kind of as a quote unquote crutch to allow their dog to be more exhausted and hopefully get the duration to be longer. But I've actually seen some cases in which if they just got back from the dog park or going for a run with their owner, their levels of arousal or excitement, whatever label you want to put on it are so high that it's virtually right. impossible for them to calm back down and even get close to that baseline that we would normally see if they didn't go for that big, long jog. So things like that are super important about exercise because there's these little ideas that people think are helpful for their dog and they actually might not be helpful and they could even be doing the opposite impact. Yeah. Right? And then and what if you think that, you know, your dog does do really well when they get a ton of exercise, are you going to give your dog a ton of exercise for the rest of their life? Right. Anytime Every before time you before you right. leave. Yes, right. exactly. No, that's yeah. I'm not pro or against exercise. We all need it for our totally. overall welfare, but I would much rather just track the normal baseline of what that dog would do on the day to day. And like, not only what would they do if you did the session at 3 PM, but is that what your morning is going to look like before you actually leave at eight in the AM and like later in the future. Um, right. but, but yeah, no, I just had to echo that because he brought that to my attention. Um, but yeah, no, in regards to tracking that I've done. So when I, every case is obviously different, but some of the most interesting ones where data collection was like a game changer for those cases is we started tracking shifts to appetite. Well, with the specific dog I'm thinking of shifts to appetite and then shifts to their activity and overall inability to settle at like later in the day. And what we started mm -hmm. to realize was there was potential underlying GI issues that were going on and GI issues. First off are very common with a lot of the cases I work with, um, whatever the connection and it does definitely tend to be very prevalent in a lot of these cases. If you're curious about it, definitely reach out to your veterinarian because I think they can give a lot more insight into what may or may not be impacting your pup's overall comfort levels based on GI. Um, but one of these pups, he was gotten to the same thing where he was just having one week, he was doing amazing and could easily get 15 minutes. And all of a sudden this next week, we were like, why are you struggling to even get 30 seconds? Like we are like, there's nothing's changed. Thanks to the data tracking, we could actually be assured that time of day activity, none of that had been modified. What ended up happening is we were got to a point where we're like, okay, this doesn't seem like a behavior concern. Like let's bring the rest of our team in. Let's bring the medical staff vet team in and the little man just needed his anal glands expressed not to be not to be disgusting about it but it was as simple as needing his anal glands expressed causing an increase in what are discomfort or stress whatever mm -hmm. whatever he was feeling that led to that and on a more serious note um, through tracking data uh, with one of my other clients we found um, underlying concern that actually led to a thyroid
thyroid issue. So mm-hmm. being sure that you're tracking all of these things, it's not just to appease us as the trainer and we're trying to make your lives harder. It really, really is about the big picture in the world of your dog, because there's no point in like filling up one glass and emptying another. We really, again, just to kind of drive it in. We really need to be looking at overall welfare as a whole for that individual to really like, make those behavior change uh, situations happen in the future. Um, so Absolutely. it can be, yeah, it can be a big deal or it could be something like allergies, seasonal allergies, right? Yeah. Allergies uh, is a big one too. Big and one. I'm, uh, you guys can't see me, but I'm over here nodding profusely because <laughs> GI, like GI stomach upset, um, allergies or something that is just so prevalent. And, um, when a dog is struggling and it can be so hard to know, you know, and th- that those things are going on. So having your village and your vet and, or your vet behaviorist, like all on board is so important. Absolutely. And especially because we can start to track trends on that too. Like if we know um, change of season is about to happen, right. And our dogs, if we have the data on it, our dogs, every time before they go into an actual full on GI upset, they start to have these similar behaviors that they do. Maybe they eat less, maybe they're drinking more, maybe they're sleeping less, et cetera. If we start to see that coming on, we can get ahead of the game and we can reach out to our team, um, vet team, et cetera, and kind of tackle the issue before it actually becomes a bigger issue when you see regression plateau or your dog just feeling uncomfortable, right? So big, big, big on data collection, just for the purpose of making sure medically wise that we're on the same page with our veterinarians and everybody. Absolutely. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, any other, any other things to add in regards to specific data points that you like to collect or certain cases or anything in general? I think in general, you, you should just be open, you know, to, you know, adding new cells and columns to your data tracking sheet and subtracting them and, and, you know, things are, it's going to change. It's fluid, you know, behavior is, uh, is, is, it doesn't live in a box, right. As much as we want to, we do in loose science here, we're not in a Skinner box. So, um, we do need to, to be flexible and, and really listen. I think it's important to really listen to our clients because I, I think they sometimes are, you know, they live with these dogs 24 um, seven. They may notice things too that we don't notice. And, and I've had that countless times where, where they've said, you know, I've started to notice uh, this outside of missions or outside of alone time training that, um, and I'm like, well, let's bring that in, right? Let's bring that in and start tracking it here and see if it's impacting. Absolutely. Yeah. So long story short, if you're not data tracking, you need to be. Um, Yeah. And and I I will add just one little takeaway that I got from, um, from uh, Dr. Behavior Boss, who's a, you know, a a behavior person on Instagram. Well, love this Instagram Um, was a couple of takeaways from one of our recent posts on data collection was set up your data. So it takes you a few seconds to analyze, right? It gets really easy to get lost in that analysis paralysis. And, and that's the trainer's job. You know, that's my right, job right, right. and Allie's job to, right. get, to, to go the heavy lifting. And, yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll uh, bring on another trainer if we need a second set of eyes, if we're just in that analysis paralysis, but set it up so you can decipher it, right? Like don't overwhelm yourself with, you know, data tracking. And one quote I love by Dr. Eduardo Fernandez, um, who's a behavior uh, analyst, is that any data is better than no data and no data is perfect. And I think that's so important, you know, that we, um, 
try not to be perfect. Um, let, you know, let your trainers try to be perfect and you, you know, just relax. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I know a lot of the heavy lifting is done on the back end of things. Like I just have my clients, you enter the data and I'll make mm-hmm. sense of it. And then I'll we'll look talk at it. about yeah. it and we'll collaborate about it. Right. No, no, I love that. Um, and then I just really wanted to kind of drive in one last time, how important it is that we are doing an individual um, approach to each specific dogs and not each specific dog. Not every dog has the same background. Not every dog has the same reasons for having increase in stress. Some of it might be genetic predisposition. We could have early onset trauma. We really need to be looking at the dog in front of us and going back to one of, I know it's one of both of our favorites, uh, Dr. Susan Friedman, um, every individual is a study of one. Okay. We really need to be looking at that dog in front of us and don't base anything that you're seeing off of another post from another success update from another dog. Like no, no behavior path is going to be linear and no two dogs are going to have the same pathway through just because GI upset upsets Fido's uh, overall comfort doesn't mean it's going to upset fluffies, et cetera. Right. Right. Don't start tracking barometric pressure. (laughs) Right. right? Now we're going to have everybody out there getting that app now. I know. (laughs) No, no, I love it. Well, um, Jackie, it has been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of toss in here, chat about just last minute thinking points or any resources, anything at all that you think would be helpful for any of these listeners? I just think that if you're working through home alone training, um, not with a CSAT, like you're doing it on your own and you're struggling to achieve your goals, um, just ask yourself if you're, if there's something you could be tracking that you're not. And if, um, if you just aren't sure, um, reach out to a CSAT and, and do a consultation, just a one-off, just to look at what you're tracking and maybe make some suggestions about what you could be tracking, um, and reach out if you need some ideas. Absolutely. No, I love that. And for, for any of you that are not already following Jackie, look at the show notes down below. We'll have a link to her Instagram and some of her awesome blogs she's been putting out there lately. Um, anybody that's struggling with alone time, it's not just about finding one professional and following them. We really should be following the masses or something that everybody can learn from everybody. And that's a whole nother topic. Don't even get me started about continued education. Maybe, maybe another time I'll have you on Jackie and we can talk about continued education. Um, but yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure. I'll include all of those important links down below as well. And definitely reach out to Jackie, myself, any fellow CSATs out there. Um, If you find yourself struggling, Jackie, put that beautifully. It's always nice to get a second set of eyes if you're not 100% certain what might be going on. And I say 100% certain very lightly. Nobody's ever really 100% (laughs) certain. Um, All right, then, Jackie. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I'm hopefully looking forward to seeing you on uh, the podcast again soon. And Yeah, everybody else out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Did today's episode leave you with any lingering questions? I would be more than happy to address them on my next podcast. Please send me any questions or comments pertaining to this episode via Instagram at Training with Allie and or on Twitter at Training with Allie. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you. All links and information discussed on this podcast can be found in the show notes below. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any individual case. Please consult your veterinarian before adding to or modifying your pet's current treatment plan.